I bet you've heard of this passage before, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible. Uh, I bet the, the concept that is in this passage probably is a familiar one to you. Uh, this is one, a passage that scares a lot of people. Uh, and I guess what I would say is rightly so. <laughs> it scares me. Uh, and so we're going to look at it today and hopefully rightly interpret it and apply it to our lives. So Mark chapter 3, and uh, let's look at verses 22 through 30 together. Here we go. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, and then indeed he may plunder his house. Now here's here's the really tricky part, okay? Verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to open your word. God, we believe it to be true. Father, we believe it to contain everything that we need for righteousness, for godliness, for life. And so, Father, today we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to illumine our minds to the word of God, uh, to open our hearts to receive it, to rightly interpret it. Uh, Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning uh, during our time together. Father, we ask for for the teaching power of the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't know if you, uh, you were really paying attention there, but this is a scary passage, is it not? Uh, that's a scary verse. Uh, to, to receive that and embrace it and just take the Word of God at face value. Man, the thought that you can go too far, okay? The thought that you can cross some invisible spiritual line and find yourself beyond forgiveness, beyond salvation, to, to find yourself in a position where you cannot now and cannot ever for all eternity be forgiven, to find yourself in, in a place where you, you have no hope of forgiveness, no hope of righteousness, no hope of of, of of, of, of anything but everlasting condemnation, everlasting punishment to forever be damned with no way that things will ever change, no way to ever say, I'm sorry, or I repent, or I'll change. Man, that's a frightening passage. Uh, that there is a sin that casts you beyond the forgiveness and the grace of God. Verse 29 is particularly the disturbing verse. It says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I mean, just let that sink in there for a second. Never has forgiveness. Never. I mean, unpack that in your mind. There's only one thing that never can mean. I mean, never is not one of those words you're like, well, sometimes it means this. No, I mean, never means never, okay? Never means never has forgiveness. Never, not after a hundred years. Never, not after a thousand years. Never, never right with God. Never free from his wrath. Never after a million years. After a billion years, never. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32 is the parallel, one of the parallel passages uh, for the, this, this teaching on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 12, 32, 
22, Jesus makes it very clear. The person never has forgiveness in this age or in the age to come. Okay, so it's very clear what Jesus is saying here. That that a person can commit this sin and they never have forgiveness. Never now, not in this age, not in this life, not while they're alive, nor in the age to come. There, There is no hope of forgiveness. Now that is a scary sin. Okay, and so, so that begs the question, and here's the one that I think we're going to hopefully answer today, is what is this impardonable sin? What, what sin is it that a person commits and it, and it puts them beyond the grace and the forgiveness of God? Well, before we get there, I want to give you good news. I, I think if you've been listening to me long enough, uh, I've been here 16 years, hopefully you've found out something about me. I really would t- rather tell you the good news, okay? I mean, I, I would rather look in the Bible because there's so much of it. I, actually, you know what the Bible is? The Bible is all good news, really. I mean, I mean, it's all good news and there is some really bad news in it, but the only bad news in it is, is that if you reject the good news, then that's bad. And, and really that, I mean, that's the theme of the Bible is man, here's this glorious Jesus Christ with this great gospel of good news. And if you reject that, well, that's, that's really bad. That's where the bad news comes in. Okay. So the good news in this passage, and there's actually a lot of it. Okay. The good news in this passage is verse 28. Verse 28 says, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. Now, before we get to the other, that is just as incredible of a statement. Is it not that all sins can be forgiven? Let me tell you, if that just drifts right over you, okay. If you're like, okay, oh, great. You know, if that drifts right over you, you are a person who does does not get your own wickedness, okay? I mean, that, and that's true of many of us. You know, we we don't see the, the the depth of depravity in our hearts. We don't. Many times, we don't have a good grip on the horribleness of our sins and how we have fully fully disobeyed God. How, how we're set against God. We're enemies of God, and the wrath of God coming upon us from that. Okay. Now, there's probably some other of you in here today, and I think I'm probably included in this one. Man, this statement is like gold. I mean, when I read, I want to read it again. You know, truly. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Man, if you're a person that you've had glimpses of your own wickedness, you know the terrible things you've done. You're embarrassed of much of your life, much of your past. In fact, you'd like to hide that. You'd like for, for people not to know about who you really are. Let me tell you, this is a great passage, okay? This is a great passage. That, that, that concept that you can be forgiven, those dark stains in your past, whatever they are, they can be made as white as snow. They can be completely taken away. You can be cleansed of your sin and justified with no guilt, no shame, no record of wrongs against you. That's an incredible, that's an incredible concept from the grace of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. These, these are cool verses. I'm going to give you a, a three, three passages here. Colossians 2.13 says, in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our trespasses, wiped them away. Listen to this, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, I love that. Cancel the debt. Cancel the record. I mean, the, the image I get there in my mind is, is going to the record books of heaven and say, all right, well, you know, t- Jason Dirks, you know, let's, let's list his sins from, from February 26, 1972 to present, and there's nothing on the list. Is that not fantastic? 
Because that's not the reality of what's happened. The reality of what's happened is there's, a whole, there, there's more sins that can be written down. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, those can be canceled. They can be taken away. There can be no guilt, no shame. I can be completely justified because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for me. Listen to some other passages. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And then maybe my favorite one is Psalm 103, verse 12. I, I quote this one a lot. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Man, I tell you, Farm boys love that. You know, we think in terms of east and west, okay? My girls, that, that, means, that verse means nothing to them because they, they're not sure where east and west are. But, you know, for me, man, east to the west, you know, it's, it's far, how far do you go west? I mean, it just goes on eternally. How far do you go east? It just, it just it, there's never end to it, okay? And that's how far God has taken my sins away from me. That's really cool. Man. Okay, so, so we come back. We got some really good news here today. Okay, we got some really good news. And that is that all sins can be forgiven. All sins can be taken away. And, and I know what some of you are going to say. You're going to say, well, maybe God will do that. But, you know, my family won't forgive me. You know, man, I hear that a lot. You know, well, you know, I believe that God might forgive me, but my family won't forgive me. And they're, they're always going to hold it against me. And they're always going to be talking about me. They're always going to be bringing this stuff. And my enemies, they're never going to forgive me. And you know what? That may be true. I mean, it's not right. It may be true. I still have hope, you know, for that in your life. And hopefully that's something you're praying about. But here, here's what's true. And here's what we got to begin to get through our head. You've got to believe what God says about you and not what other people say about you. I mean, it, that, that's really a great spiritual truth is you got to begin to grab on. What, what does God say about you? You know, sometimes it's like, well, this is what God says about me. This is what, you know, Bill says about me, my neighbor, you know. Okay, you, there's, a, there's a waiting issue there, isn't it? You know, I, I mean, you ought to wait what God says, you know, way above what anybody else says. And folks, if, if we've been forgiven, if we've been justified by the priceless blood of Jesus, man, it's real. That's reality. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. I mean, now, I mean, they, they may be right that we've done bad things, and they may, you know, and hopefully we're repentant and we're trying to reconcile and trying to make restitution as God would have us do. But here's the deal: we've got to believe what God has said about us, and what He has said is that all sins can be forgiven, all sins except. Oh, here's here's the deal. Yeah, hopefully you're going to listen, man. This is big stuff here. Except, except. Verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Okay, so what is this? Let's try to unpack this very clearly today. Um, And before we talk about what it is, I want to talk about what it's not, okay? Um, in my, in my experience as a pastor, um, there are two, uh, there's probably a whole bunch. There's probably lots of them misunderstandings about what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What is the unpardonable sin? What is the sin that can't be forgiven? Um, but what I've done is I've chosen, I think the two big ones. Okay. Uh, in my experience, people coming to me, man, I'm afraid I committed this sin. Uh, or I'm afraid my, my family member committed this sin. Usually they're talking about if, if they're, if they're thinking wrongly, one of two things. Okay. And the first one, is some kind of careless word spoken against God, usually in anger, sometimes in drunkenness, always in foolishness, okay? 
Are you with me? Uh, a lot of people will have said something against God. Maybe it was, you know, my, their brother died and they're in the, the ER and they're just angry and they're mad and they, they shook their fist at God and said some kind of, you know, angry thing against God or curse against God. And then, you know, weeks later after the funeral and after their grief has settled down, they, they, they're haunted by how could I have said that against God? Okay, so there's lots of those folks. Uh, I've had people come, you know, you know, I, pastor, I used to do drugs. I used to drink or whatever. And, you know, one time when I was high or I was drunk, you know, I said this against God and, and, you know, I just wonder, you know, have I, have I committed, you know, the, the, the unpardonable sin? Can I not be forgiven? Well, let, let me, let me tell you, first of all, there's nothing in the context or in the text itself that would lend itself to saying that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is some kind of careless sentence that you've come to deeply regret. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think that's what the sin is. I, I know that that's not what the sin is. The reality is, is that man, I, and this is not a, it's not a good reality, but James 3, 8 says the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The reality is we say things that we don't really mean. I was talking to my parents this morning and, and, uh, I was thinking about trying to illustrate this and I thought of something, but I, I wanted to check with my parents first of all, to see if they, if they even remembered it and they didn't, my mom didn't anyway, I don't think my dad ever knew. Um, but, but I just kind of told them the story and, uh, we kind of had a chuckle about it. Um, uh, but I remember this, this is branded in my memory. It's how significant it was to me, but I was probably about seven or eight years old and my dad had punished me for something and, and, and it was probably righteous. I'm sure it was. I don't even remember what it was, but he had punished me for something. He had gotten me in trouble and and he was gone and I was talking to my mom. I remember we were out in our farmhouse. I remember, I remember everything about it. We were in, in my mom's bedroom. My mom was doing something, folding laundry or something. And I remember telling my mom, I wish you'd get a divorce. I remember saying that to my mom. And uh, uh, I think I got in worse trouble after having said that. And uh, uh, obviously they didn't get a divorce, you know. Uh, but but my, my dad never knew about it. When I talked to him on the phone, he, he never known about it. And my mom didn't even remember it. But I remember it. And, and, and I think I remember it because I knew even after it left my mouth, that was a really dumb thing to say, you know. Uh, I should have never said that. <laughs> and, and, I mean, my dad's a great man. I, he's one of my best friends in life. He's been so good to my family. He's one of those men that make you proud that he's your dad, you know? He's a, he's a guy who invests in other men. He's a guy who's respected by other men. And, man, thinking about that now, man, how, how much did I not really mean that or not really want that? But sometimes we, we say things that are just really stupid, don't we? Sometimes we say things that we really don't mean. Okay, and so so I, I get that there there are lots of folks out there who are like, man, you know, I've I've said this against God, I've said this against heaven, and now I think maybe I'm beyond forgiveness. I I, I don't think that's what this sin is. Okay, couple reasons, and we're going to unpack them here. Number one, the sin committed by these scribes and Pharisees in this passage is a habitual sin. We're going to see that. Okay, we're going to unpack that. It wasn't it wasn't a I'm mad, I'm furious, I'm upset, and. Poof, there it went. I just threw up, you know, nasty stuff and, and said things I shouldn't, shouldn't have. It wasn't that kind of situation. The, theirs was a habitual sin. It was a calculated sin. Okay. I mean, they, they meant what they said. They were sure about it. They had thought it out. They had said it numerous times. And number three, and here, here's the, here's the big one. It was said in the context of continual and clear demonstration of the glory of Jesus. Okay. So if you're writing those down, number one, it was habitual. Number two, it was calculated. Number three, it was said in a continual and clear demonstration of the glory of Jesus. So the person whose loved one died and they're angry, they're bitter, they, they curse God in their grief. Um, it was sin. Okay, I'm, I'm not I'm trying to make light of that. Uh, man, what I said about my, my parents when I was seven, that's a big deal. And, and I deeply repent of it today. Okay, uh, so so we should not say things that we don't mean. 
Okay, we're wrong in doing so. God is good all the time, even when we don't understand. But listen, that's not the unpardonable sin. Is it a sin? Yeah. But it falls into the category of sins that can be forgiven. Okay? It's not the unpardonable sin. So number one, it's not, it's not some kind of rash thing that somebody spits out in a time of grief or anger or whatever. And number two, and this is probably the most popular question I get about what is the unpardonable sin, is I don't believe it's suicide. Okay? I don't believe it's suicide. Many people think that if you take your own life, that's an unpardonable sin. Um, is it a sin? Yes. Okay? Let's just be clear about it. it. Is it a sin? Yeah, you're murdering yourself. It's self-murder. Um, is, it, is it a bad? Yeah, I mean, all sin is bad. I mean, I, I certainly don't want the last act of my earthly life before I stand before Almighty God to be one of defiance. You know, I mean, I mean that's, that's not a good thing. I, in no way do I want to make light of that, okay? Uh, I want to make sure I press that upon you. I know there's probably people in this service and the next service and the third service who, who maybe at some point in their life will think about suicide. And so when that happens, I want you to hear my voice to say right now, it's sin, okay? It, it's a dangerous thing to defy the Lord in that way, uh, to have the last act of your life to be, be one of defiance to God. But, but what I do not believe is I do not believe that is the unpardonable sin. Now, why, why do some people say that? Well, there's certain denominations who lean strongly toward a work-based salvation. And in kind of their thinking of salvation, it's kind of a Jesus plus salvation. It's like Jesus gets you there, but then it's kind of up to your own effort to keep your salvation. And a lot of those denominations very much stress that you have to confess every sin uh, in order to be saved. And so obviously suicide is a sin that you cannot confess. And so that's the reasoning that a lot of people believe that suicide is the the unpardonable sin. But listen, listen up, Lincoln Avenue. If if our salvation is dependent upon our skill in confessing our every sin before the moment we die, here's what's true. A couple things. Number one, none of you are really saved yet then, right? I mean, we're just all in the process. We're just all, you know, hoping that we, we nail it down. Actually, you know what we're hoping for? A slow death in which our mind is right. I mean, that's what we're hoping for, you know, so we can get it all cleared up. I mean, that's what our salvation rests in. Slow death, mind is right, you know, someone there, Bible, and hopefully not much pain, okay? I mean, uh, no, that, that that's not the gospel. I mean, if that's our theology, we better hope that we're not angry with our wife, you know, when we cross the center line into the semi. We better hope that we don't have a selfish thought before the stroke happens. We better hope that we don't have an impure thought before the big surgery. I mean, can you imagine the the torment of that kind of life? You know, there you are on the table. You're going in for this surgery. The doc says, you know, we're not sure how it's going to go. It's a dangerous thing, you know, and the the anesthetist comes over with the the little mask and and just right before they put it on, you just have this impure thought, you know, and then then they're putting the gas mask over and you're like, Lord, I just confess... You know, man, I, I, you know, if the surgery goes bad, you're going to hell. I, I mean, friends, that's not the gospel, okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died for my sin. He paid it all. He paid the penalty for my sin. He paid to change my heart so that I don't want to sin. So that I don't want to stay in that. I don't want to live that way anymore. I have a repentant heart all the time. I mean, that's why Jesus paid for my sins. And so I don't believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Should we take it lightly? Absolutely not. Man, just, just as I, I don't want to die cheating on my taxes. I don't want to die cursing my neighbor. I don't want to die, you know, pummeling, you know, somebody. I mean, I don't want to die in any sin, okay? And, and suicide would be the same thing. But there's nothing in this text or in Matthew 12 or in Luke 12, in, in any of the three gospels that mention blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing in any one of the texts that would refer to self-murder. 
Okay, so I don't I don't think it's some kind of careless thought or careless word someone spits out. I don't think it's suicide. So what is it? Well, let, let's look at the context first of all, because I, I think these guys uh, in this passage kind of show us what this sin is. Okay, the scribes have come down from Jerusalem. That's what verse twenty two says, and, and and they're seeing all these miracles that Jesus did. Okay, they, they've probably been a part of a lot of them. Remember in Mark chapter one when Jesus is in Capernaum. Let me read you a passage, verse thirty two. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by the demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I mean, Jesus' ministry thus far has been saturated with the work of the Spirit of God. Okay, The Holy Spirit is moving in the life of Jesus, just showing everybody his glory. He is healing, you know, lepers and, 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 and paralyzed people and blind people and deaf people and mute people and, and all kinds of spiritual oppression. Jesus is showing himself glorious. He's showing himself mighty. And these folks come down and they see all of it. They see the leper being healed. They see the lame walking. They see the demon possessed in his right mind. They look at all of it. They see the glory and the mercy and the power of Jesus. And they look at it and their conclusion is, Man, that's of the devil. Man, that, 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 that's, that's of the evil one. That's their conclusion about the work of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, how ridiculous, first of all, how ridiculous on a logical level, okay? Lots of you are very logical people. And so let, let, let's look at the logicalness of this. Verse 22 says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons, okay? Now, Jesus is like, okay, let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's think about the, the statement that by the prince of demons, Jesus is casting out demons. And so, so here's what Jesus says. Look at, Look at verse 24. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Jesus says, how ridiculous is it to say that Satan is scoring touchdowns for the other team? You know, that Satan's military is shooting their own people. You know, I mean, that, that that's the equivalent of this. Why would Satan cast out Satan from, from people? You know? Why would, why would Satan come in and say, man, this guy is demon possessed. He is full of sin. He is, he is locked into wickedness. Man, I, I got to get him out of there. You know, let's make him holy. Okay. Is that what, no, obviously that's not what Satan does. You know, Uh, I mean, OU doesn't score touchdowns for OSU and OSU doesn't score touchdowns for OU. Well, not intentionally anyway. All right. Uh, But that's not the way it works. And so Jesus is like, this is completely illogical for you to even think this. Jesus has shown clear and undeniable evidence that he is the Messiah and the scribes come in. And not because of logical evidence, but listen to this, because of a lack of yieldedness. You know why a lot of people reject Jesus? It's not because of a lack of evidence. I don't believe that. I, I just refuse to believe that. I think it's a lack of yielding. You know why I think people reject Jesus? Because they don't want to follow Jesus. Now, now they're going to throw up a smoke screen. You know, they're going to, well, you know, if you, if you look, you know, there's, there's inconsistencies. And if you look here, there's this and that. And, well, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. And how, how do you know, you know, that this is the only way? And there's lots of religions in the world. And, I mean, they're going to throw. But, you know, the real smoke, that's just all a smoke screen. I, I mean, I, and I just believe this because of my own personal testimony. The reason people don't follow Jesus is they don't want to follow Jesus. They, they want to do their own thing. It's, it's, I, w- I want to do what my flesh wants to do. My sinful heart craves this life. And Jesus is telling me, 
go this way and I don't trust him. I don't trust him to change my heart. I don't trust him to change my mind. I don't trust him that it'll be okay. And so, so I go my way. That's why people don't follow Jesus. It wasn't because of lack of evidence. I mean, there's nothing about this. How, how can you look at this, this man of mercy and compassion who's casting out demons and who's healing the leper and who's raising up the lame and say, man, that's all evil. Man, I, can you, did you see that wickedness? Man, hey, he made that guy whole. Now he can walk. How dare he? I mean, I mean this is not a logical thing. This is a resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at what Jesus, here's how Jesus describes his ministry. It's in verse 27. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Okay, so what's the picture there? The picture there is, is that nobody, nobody walks in to Dean Pond's house and walks out with his 60-inch plasma unless they first tackle Dean Pond and cuff him and tie him up before he gets to his gun. Okay? I mean, I mean nobody does that. You don't just walk in and take his goods. You've got to bind the strong man. And Jesus is saying, look, if I'm walking into Satan's realm here, if I'm walking into people who are bound up in sin and I'm delivering them out of that, it's obvious that I've bound the strong man. And so, so Jesus' own testimony of, look, look, this is what's logical, okay? So, so, so what's this sin? Well, let's talk for a moment about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, notice he says, he said, doesn't say blasphemy against Jesus, blasphemy against God. It's not that those aren't a big deal, but it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What? What is the, 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 the key element here that is in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You are speaking against the clear revelation of God's Messiah. Okay? It, you're speaking against the light that's been given to you. Let, let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, let's read some passages here. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. What, what does the Holy Spirit do? He tells us about Jesus, okay? The Holy Spirit is going to exalt Jesus. He's going to exalt the person of Jesus Christ. He, he's going to exalt the goodness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus. He's going to exalt the person of Jesus Christ, okay? Let's go on to chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, what's he going to do? Listen, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will not see me any longer. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is to be judged. Let me sum all that up. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit does this. He says, you're a sinner. Jesus is awesome. Okay? That's... And that's very simplified. I mean, and there's lots of other works of the Holy Spirit, right? In a believer, the Holy Spirit's going to produce joy. He's going to produce love. He's going to produce fruit. He's going to produce peace. He's going to produce an atmosphere of unity. Okay, but we're talking about to the lost world. What does the Holy Spirit do? The work of the Holy Spirit is to show you your sin, to show you your need for a Savior, and to exalt before your eyes the greatness, the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. And so blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an attack on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's an attack on the person and the work of the Spirit. So what's the Spirit doing here in Mark chapter, chapter uh, 3? Man, in Mark chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is saying, look, you're a sinner. Look at, look at the awesomeness of Jesus. And the Pharisees are saying, no, we're not sinners and Jesus is not awesome. Jesus is wicked. Okay, they're speaking against the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, now remember I said before, there's a couple, couple elements here. Number one was habitual. 
Okay? Now, what do we mean by that? Well, I think habitual is a key part of this equation. These scribes had continually been exposed to the glory of Jesus in miracles and teaching and healings, and they had habitually rejected the work as evil and not of God. You know what fascinates me is, is as we work through the other Gospels, I remember uh, in John chapter 11, for instance. Remember, that's, that's at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's already healed multitudes. He's, he's taught the Sermon on the Mount. He, he showed great. I mean, he's done all these things. At the end of his ministry, uh, one of the things he does is he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's in John chapter 11. Let me see if I can find the passage I'm looking for. Um, yeah, he raises Lazarus. Okay, so, so there's, there's these, some of these same guys standing at the tomb of Lazarus. They know he's been dead. They, they, they went to his funeral. You know, they walked by his corpse. He's been dead for four days. And now Jesus stands at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man walks out. And they unwrap him and he's fine. Notice the next verse. Um, in John 11, verse 44, Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Verse 45, here's how it begins. Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and had, had seen what he did, believed him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, What do we do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will take away both our place and our nation. Uh, man, do you see those thoughts? Instead of yielding, you know what they're doing? They're trying to figure out how to get rid of this problem. This guy raises dead people. How are we going to get rid of him? It was habitual. They had clearly seen time and again the power and the glory and the character of Jesus. I I don't believe it's a one time I was angry and I said this. In fact, listen listen to Paul. Paul should be of great encouragement to some of you, some of me. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. Here's what Paul says about himself. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a... What was Paul formerly? Did you see that? Formerly I was a what? Blasphemer. You see that? I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed. You see, Paul at one time had been a blasphemer. Paul had said things about Jesus that weren't true. But man, when, when Jesus appeared to him on the road... And reveal who he was. What did Paul do? Paul yielded his life to Christ. Paul was able to be saved. So I think habitual is a key word here. Now, now if I were sitting where you're sitting, here's what I would ask. Okay, pastor, please give me a clear definition of habitual. <laughs> okay? Habitual means continuing. When, when is that? You know, is that like two times? Is that five times? You know, you see the glory of Jesus ten times? And if you go to the 11th one, then you're... I don't know. No idea. No, I mean, I see it's a persistent pattern in these guys' lives. But how many is that? I don't know. And and so I think here's the rule, okay? Here's the rule. Don't test the rule. (laughs) You you know know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a foolish thing for, 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 for my kids to say, Hey, Dad, you know, how far can we push you, you know? That's just the wrong question, isn't it? Isn't that the wrong question? You know, Dad, how, how long can we put off doing what you told us to do, you know, before you'll punish us? We'd like to know, you know, because if you say an hour, we're going 59 minutes, okay? That's the wrong question. I mean, really, seriously, if that's your heart this morning, I mean, how, how long can I push against God? 
Man, how, how long can I be in church and reject what he says? I, I, I want to pull the trigger before it's too far. So, 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 pastor, tell me how. Man, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong kind of heart. That's a heart. Really, what you're saying with that heart is, Jesus is not good. I don't want what he's got. But I feel like it's my only choice, and so I'm going to wait till the last minute. Man. Here's what the Bible would say. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. What's the Bible saying, man? If he's working in you today, respond today. Don't put that off. Here's another question I have. Are there other places in the Bible that would back up what we just said? That's a good interpretive principle, isn't it? I mean, man, always interpret the Bible with the rest of the Bible. That's a good way to think of that. And so are there other places in the Bible that describe people who are saturated with, with light? You know what I mean by light? You know, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They've heard the gospel. They've seen the gospel. They've experienced the gospel. And, and they just keep pushing it away, pushing it away. Pushing it away. And they come to a point where it's too late. Are there other passages in the Bible? Let's, let's look at one. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. Ready? Verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened. What's, what's that a picture of? Man, they've seen. They've seen truths of the scripture. They've seen the glory of the gospel. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. They haven't embraced it. They, they they're not all in yet, but you know what they've done? They've, they've, they've nibbled, okay? They've nibbled at the buffet of God, okay? They've, they've kind of come in and sampled and kind of been apart and, and, and experienced God's goodness. And, and they've seen the work of the Holy Spirit in other people. Okay, so it's impossible to restore again to repentance. Those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit. See, some people are going to say, well, this is talking about believers. I don't think it is. I think he's talking about these guys in Mark 3. You know, I don't think shared in the Holy Spirit means they were indwelt, filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that means, man, they saw, they were there. Spirit of God is moving in power. And they're witnessing it all. Tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then he gives an example of, of ground that, that the rain comes on and it doesn't produce anything but thorns and thistles. Man, don't let that be you. Does the rain come on your life? God's goodness, the Word of God, truth of the Scriptures, does it come and saturate your life and all that comes up? It's bad stuff. Man, that's a dangerous thing. Anywhere else in the Bible? Hebrews 10. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Again, we've got knowledge. We've seen it. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Man, skip down to, uh, where's it talk about the spirit? Oh, yeah. 
Verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? That caught my attention. Outraged the Spirit of grace. Is there anywhere else? First John chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. Man, what, what kind of sin leads to death so much that we shouldn't even pray about it? This one. Why would you not pray about it? It's too late. All these passages have this, this, this one thing strongly in common. The rejection of light. Okay? You know what I mean by light? Are you with me on that? Spirit of God working, revealing, showing you truth. Clear evidence of the Spirit of God. Clear evidence of who Jesus is. To reject that. You know, let me give, let me give you a clear application. I, I was thinking about this. What, what, what? I, I really want when you come here, you know, and when we worship together and we open God's word, I really want it to be relevant to your life, you know. And I, I was thinking, I was like, man, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a bummer because hopefully that's not relevant to anybody, you know. Hopefully there's nobody in this service or the next service or the next service that that apply. Man, that's my prayers. It's not going to apply. So I, I thought, is there no application? I think there's a ton of application, Okay. I mean, we got this truth over here, bless me, Holy Spirit. But w- w- what's the truth leading to that truth? Truth. I think it's this. Man, be careful to do what you need to do with the light that you've been given. Too much is given, much is required. Man, some of you, like myself, my dad was saved when I was eight years old. You had Christian parents who taught you the scriptures, who modeled you the scriptures. You got to see the Spirit of God at work up close and personal. Man, what a blessing! What have you done with it? And others of you, you've had an opportunity to sit in good teaching in Sunday school. Man, I, always, I was talking to Pastor Andrew the other day. And I was like, man, what you guys do in Sunday school? And man, they're just going through the scriptures in Sunday school. I love that. You know, he's like, well, we were in this passage in the Old Testament. And, you know, he said, well, it's kind of hard to explain because it's kind of a difficult passage. And I was like, man, nobody ever taught me that stuff when I was a kid. Man, how fortunate are my kids? They're going to go into Sunday school here in a minute. And, and actually, my kids a lot of times get both Sunday schools. They go to this one, and then they go to Fifth Street, you know? Like, man, what a blessing. You know, they got here, here's a youth pastor. He's opening up the Word of God, and they're just going through the Bible. What, what, what an incredible blessing to have that kind of light. What are you doing with it? Are you responding? I mean, here, obviously, we can, we can judge these guys. I mean, that's easy. Man, here's, here's these guys. Man, they're seeing the, the most incredible manifestation of, the, of God in the history of mankind. And, and the doofuses are saying, man, it's of the devil. I mean, I mean really? <laughs> it's okay to use doofus. That's, that's, that's dumb. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay, but... Listen, there are also people like myself who've been shown great grace, right? Who've heard truth all my life. Who've had believers invest in them and love them and pray for them and encourage them. They're surrounded by people who've been transformed by the grace of God. 
Man, what more do you want? What more? Let, let me ask you this. What, what else is it going to take for you to be serious about the things of God? Why would you keep choosing the junk of the world that leaves you empty over and over again? Man, say yes to God. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. You know the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know His heavy hand on your life. You know when He's revealed stuff to you. Man, don't don't ignore that. Don't push that away. Say yes. Do what God's telling you to do. Don't don't trifle with God, particularly with the work of the Holy Spirit. I think that's that's the great application of this passage. Don't trifle with God. Don't assume that you can take Him and leave Him as you please. Don't assume that there's always a later. Don't, don't think you can resist Him and reject Him over and over and over and over again without some kind of damage happening to your soul. The work of the Holy Spirit is precious. My friends, if He's calling you, if He's revealing sin in your life, if He's pointing out things that, that you, you need to get right, you need to take care of, then respond. Don't be like these guys. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you, don't, don't ignore Him either. Don't, don't quench the Spirit. The Bible says you can quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. The Bible says you can grieve the Spirit. And if there's one thing in this passage, it ought to be gravity. <laughs> gravity. Just, this is big. God opening my eyes to see truth, that's a big thing. And I not take that lightly. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. God, I thank you that uh, the great truth that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven all sin. God, what, a, what an incredible truth. And Lord, I, I want to thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for convicting us. Thank you for showing us who Jesus is. Thank you for putting your finger on things in our life that should not be there, that are harming us, that are making us miserable. Thank you, Lord, for revealing the truth to us, showing us the way. God, thank you for all of those things. And God, we want to be a people who respond to the Holy Spirit, who say yes, who... Who, who, who obey your promptings. God, I pray that you would work that in us today. Lord, let's be quick. Make us quick. Make us fast to respond to your spirit. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.